Good morning and welcome again. We're glad that you're here today. Very thankful for our visitors. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity you have. It's a beautiful day, and we're glad that we have the opportunity to be together. We're going to be looking at the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, 1 Peter chapter 2, in verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. I would invite you to follow along as we look at this text together today. I do want to make mention of the fact that we've got a group of young folks that are going to be traveling to Rabin County, Georgia, this coming Friday? Saturday. Saturday. Anyway, they're going to be leaving to conduct a VBS, and we want to keep them in our prayers. They're going to be gone for the next few days, and hopefully and prayerfully they'll do a lot of good, enjoy time together, and I know that we'll miss them. But we look forward to seeing them when they get back in the very near future. Today we want to talk about the Christian's code of conduct, the conduct of a Christian. When I was in school, I remember there was a conduct code. And there were certain expectations. And if you didn't meet those expectations, you found out very quickly that you were facing some trouble. As we get older in life, we come to the realization that things are really no different in the workplace. There are certain policies in place. There is a code of conduct. And if we want to maintain our job, we have to meet the criterion that's set forth in those policies. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter really talks about this code of conduct that ought to be represented in the life of a Christian. And there's some reasons why we live a certain way. And it really begins based on the relationship that we have with the Lord. And I want to begin by talking about this very distinctive relationship that we have with God. It is a relationship unlike any other that we might have here upon this earth. And so as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, first of all, Peter's going to talk about how we have been called by God. And then secondly, he's going to emphasize the fact that we have been claimed by God. And those are two very important considerations in this text. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We begin by talking about the fact that we have been called by God. God calls us through the gospel, according to sec- or rather, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, at verse 14. The gospel is God's power unto salvation, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. We're called out of darkness. The world in which we live, according to John is engulfed in spiritual darkness. 
In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, John said, The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one or is in darkness. And Jesus would say, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness. Darkness is that sphere that is dominated by the devil. So when we obey the gospel, we are literally called out of darkness. That's what Peter says here. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 8, You were once darkness, but he said, Now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Not only have we been called out of darkness, but we have been called from death. The Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he would say, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he calls us out of darkness and out of death. You remember in Colossians chapter 1, Paul said, Giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. In other words, God has qualified us to be his people. And he said, He has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. It's in that sphere, he said, that we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so, when we talk about being called by God, we have to understand we've been called out of darkness and called out of death. I said a moment ago, not only are we called by God, but we're claimed by God. In other words, when you obeyed the gospel, what God said was this, you're mine, you belong to me. Listen again to what Peter said. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. John said that we are the people of God. In 1 John chapter 3, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. We're a part of God's family, aren't we? We comprise the household of God. And so to know that we are a distinctive people, God has laid claim to us. Now, in light of that, let me just very quickly call attention back to the book of Exodus. A couple of things I want you to see in this context. Look at Exodus chapter 13 very quickly. In chapter 12... God had already, or rather God had instituted the Passover. His intent was to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. In chapter 13, here's what God said. Verse 2, sanctify to me all the firstborn. He said, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel both of man and animal. Now I want you to listen to what he said. It is mine. What was God saying? God was laying claim to the firstborn and he was saying whatever is born, whether it be man or beast, that firstborn, it belongs to me. It's mine. Now you might ask the question, what's the correlation? In Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 23, 
the writer there addresses the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Did you know that as a child of God, you are a part of the church of the firstborn? Well, what's the firstborn? God said with regard to the firstborn, it is mine. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 19, Paul said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you? He said, which you have from God. He said, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Again, what, what's God saying? He's saying, as a child of mine, you belong to me. I own you. Why? Because you're his children. Now, not only are we the people of God, but the Bible tells us we are a holy priesthood, aren't we? We are priests of God. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago, Exodus chapter 13, where God said about the firstborn, it is mine. Turn, if you would, now to the book of Numbers very quickly. In Numbers chapter 3, look at Numbers chapter 3 very quickly. God here speaking to Moses. In verse 12, he said, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, he said, the Levites shall be mine. God here replaced the firstborn back in Exodus chapter 13 with the Levites. The Levites, of course, they were that priestly tribe. They functioned, they officiated on behalf of God, didn't they? Well, what was God saying about the priesthood? He's saying, it's mine. So again, you ask the correlation. The correlation is, as a child of God, God's saying, you're mine. Not only are we the people of God, we are the priesthood of God. Now, go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 2 again. Listen to what he said in chapter 2. In verse 5, he said, You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house. The church, the kingdom of God, the ecclesia, the community of the saved, is a spiritual institution. And Peter said, As living stones comprising this spiritual house, we are a holy priesthood. And we are expected to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now drop down and look at verse 9 again. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Did you know that every Christian is a priest? That means whether you are a male or female, if you're a child of God, you are a priest of the Most High God. When you obeyed the gospel, what God said is you belong to me, you're mine. As a priest, God is saying, you're mine. And you're expected to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now I want to amplify on this a more, a little bit more in just a moment. But I want you to think with me in the second place today about our responsibilities to the Lord. 
And bear in mind, God is saying, you're mine, you're my people, and you are my priesthood. Look now at what Peter says in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. There is a code of conduct imposed upon those of us who belong to God. We're talking about being New Testament Christians and that we are to be a distinctive group of people. We are God's holy nation of people. God's holy nation today is not physical Israel. It is the Israel of God that is a spiritual kingdom. And so we are a part of this kingdom. Now what Peter is saying here is that life is a pilgrimage. In other words, we're just a sojourner here. We're just passing through. This world, as we sing, is not our home. Sometimes we act like this is the end of our journey. And there are a lot of folks that they live in such a way that reflects the fact that for them, this is all there is. What Peter is saying is you need to understand you're just passing through. This is just temporal ground here. Back in Genesis chapter 47, when Jacob stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he acknowledged the fact that he was a pilgrim. He said, the days of my pilgrimage are 130 years. And he said, few and evil have been my days. Jacob at the ripe age of 130 years, spoke of his life here as a pilgrimage. And what the Bible is saying to us is we need to understand we are just sojourners here. We're just pilgrims. We're just passing through. A lot of folks try to anchor themselves to this world. And what Peter is saying is you better not lock down here because this life will come to an end. Now, Peter is saying that as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, we are to abstain from fleshly lust, listen to him, which war against the soul. Now think for a minute about our relationship to God. God said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, that we are the church of the firstborn ones. We belong to him, don't we? We're his people. Peter said... We comprise a holy priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. I want to ask you a question. Will you conquer the world? Or will the world conquer you? No middle ground here. Either you will conquer the world or the world will conquer you. One or the other. Now, Peter said, as a child of God, you need to understand, there are a lot of things coming your way. You're involved in the heat of battle. You are at war. You're at war against the devil. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's why he said in verse 9, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that we are to wage a good warfare. I want to ask you again. Will you conquer the world? 
John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not of the Father. But he said, it's of the world, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. So you've got to make a decision. Are you going to conquer the world, or will the world conquer you? The world, if you're not careful, will destroy your relationship to God. A couple of thoughts here. First, the world will strangle your faith. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus presented the parable of the soils, he talked about that seed that was sown in the ground. And he said, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he said, it becomes unfruitful. As a priest of God, if you go back to the Old Testament, here's what God said about the priesthood that is that Levitical tribe. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, in verse 5, he said, Hear me, Levites, sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house, that is, the house of God. And he said, You carry the filthiness out of the house of God. What's, what's he saying to us today? He's saying as a child of God, as somebody who belongs to God, as a priest of God, we have no business fraternizing with the world. If you're a priest of God, that is, if you're a Christian, if you are a person of God, you don't have any business drinking alcohol, not one. You don't have any business drinking. You don't have any business going down to the casinos and rolling dice. You don't have any business going to nightclubs and dancing and acting foolish. Why? Because you're a child of God. God expects more from you than that. God is saying there is this pathway that we have to follow. Now sometimes in the body of Christ, we misunderstand who we are. And sometimes we get out and act like the world. And we drink and take dope. And we run around and act promiscuously and we engage in a lot of things that could be classified as worldly behavior and what Peter is saying is as a child of God you don't have that right you don't have that privilege you can't do that why because you're a priest of God you're a person of God a person of God and let me just add this very quickly under the old covenant what did priests do they offered sacrifices didn't they they functioned on behalf of Almighty God. That means as a priest of God, I need to be in worship every time the doors are open. If you don't come to the worship services, you're not acting like a priest. You're not engaging in your priestly duties. The Bible says that we're to offer unto God that sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, Hebrews 13. You see, you have to understand, you're different. You're distinct. You're a child of God. God has said, you're mine. You belong to me. 
I would imagine some of you have been in the military. When you signed your name in the military, what did Uncle, what did Uncle Sam say about you? He said, you belong to me. If you don't think you belonged to Uncle Sam when you were in the military, you found out differently, didn't you? Matter of fact, there have been some folks in the military, they've signed on the dotted line, and the next thing you know, they've left that branch of service, gone back into the world. What does the military do? They arrest them, and they put them in the stockade. You know why? Because they belong to the military. What, what, what are they saying? They're saying, look, you're not your own. You belong to us. What's God saying about you? He's saying, you belong to me. You need to understand, you belong to me. You're not your own. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's why you don't put alcohol in your body. Why? Because you belong to God. That's why you don't take dope, because you belong to God. That's why you don't act promiscuously, because you belong to God. Not only does your body belong to God, but your mind does. He said, your mind and your spirit belong to God. That means you can't feed on things that will destroy your mind. A lot of Christians sometimes that get involved in pornography. The Bible says, you belong to me. Solomon said, guard your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the issues of life. This is serious stuff. It's not cafeteria style, just take it and leave it. Choose what you like, discard what you don't. No, what the Bible is saying is, you're a child of God. And what God is saying is, I expect differently from you. If you're in the world, knock yourself out. You do what you want to do. If you're in the Lord's church, you don't have that right. If you're in the world, you can do whatever you want to do. It's not what God wants, but you can do that. You can live like the world. You can act like the world. You can talk like the world. You can dress like the world. If you're a child of God, oh no, you can't do that. You're different. You've got to show people you're different. What God is saying is, look, listen to him again. You're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's own special people. You're different. If you're not different, Something is wrong in your life. Now the world can strangle your faith. And if you're out here clubbing and acting like, acting like a crazy person, and drinking and taking drugs and doing all kinds of foolishness, the world is strangling your faith. Let me just add to that, it'll subvert your faith. Let me, give you an, let me give you an example of somebody who lost their faith, Demas. At one time, Demas was a faithful child of God. Read Philemon 24. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul said, Demas has forsaken me. 
having loved this present world. The world will destroy you. It'll destroy your faith. Now, the world can conquer you. Or you can conquer the world. That's the beauty of it. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Are you fighting? Are you living like a priest of God? Are you living like a distinctive child of God, like you belong to the Lord? Can people see Christ living in you? Two things here, very quickly. Number one, you've got to be focused. If you're going to go to heaven, and if you're going to honor what God would have you to do, you've got to be focused in this life. Paul said, set your mind not on things here on this earth, but he said, set your mind on things above. Set your affection on things above, not on things which are upon this world. Could I make this observation? The Bible tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world, but rather we are to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The world's in the church. A lot of members of the church have opened the door to the world. They're not focused. A lot of folks in the church don't act like the people of God. They don't act like priests of God. How do I know that? Because they're not focused. You want to go to heaven, you've got to be focused. And then you've got to be faithful. That means you've got to be at the worship services. You've got to be at Bible study. You've got to be reading your Bible on a daily basis. You need to be praying every day. You need to be involved in the work of the church. These are givens, just basics. The Bible says, be faithful until death. Revelation 2.10. Very quickly, our time's gone. There's a third thing I want you to see, and that is we are to be a reflection of the Lord. First, we need to understand there is opposition to the Christian life. Listen to what he said. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers in the first century, those who were Christians, they were literally the whipping post of the Roman world. They were being persecuted unmercifully. Today, there's a very hostile attitude towards those of us who belong to the body of Christ. So we have to understand, it comes with the territory. As Paul said, persecution's gonna come to those of us who live godly in Christ Jesus. But just as there is opposition to the Christian life, there is the observation of the Christian life. Listen to what he said, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. When people look at you at school, on the job, 
on the ball field, golf course, wherever. When people look at you and they know that you claim to be a Christian, they begin drawing some conclusions, don't they? What you need to understand is how you live, how you carry yourself says a lot. You want to live in such a way so that when people see your life, it brings honor and glory to God, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. Paul said, be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You just live like a Christian. Let me close by asking this question. How's your conduct? When I was in school, we used to get a report card. And one of the things that they always did was they would give you a mark for your conduct. You either got satisfactory or unsatisfactory. Could I ask you, in the eyes of God, not, not, in, my, not in my eyes, not in the eyes of somebody else, but in the eyes of God, would your conduct be satisfactory or unsatisfactory? You can answer that. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Believing that Jesus is the Son of God and based on your faith in Him, your willingness to repent of your sins, confess His name before others, and be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be forgiven, Acts 2.38. God will then add you to the church and then the exhortation, just be faithful. It might be you're here today, your conduct is not satisfactory. You know it. And more importantly, you know God knows it. God just say to you, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?